Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. As some of you know, last month Lori and I became grandparents for the third time. And it probably doesn't surprise any of you to know that I just happened to have a photo. <laughs> Anytime a healthy child joins a family, it is a source of great joy and thanksgiving. When you add to that the moments when you see your own children become parents, and for our daughter and son-in-law, this is their first little one, it's a whole other layer of great enjoyment and they are off to an amazing start. His name is Jackson Lee, J-A-X-S-O-N-L-E-E. -E. The first name, with its unusual spelling, does not represent any ancestor on either side, but rather simply a name that his parents liked. The Lee, however, was in fact my father's name a man who died before Lori and I ever met, which means that for Jackson and for his parents, it is a name that only he learned stories about, the one who once bore it. Like all parents, they're beginning to dream about the journey that is ahead for him. And thus, in that little bundle of joy, the past, the present and the future meet. Both of our biblical texts today describe that same kind of intersection, not as it relates to a new life, but in terms of nations. And thus, on this Independence Day, as disciples of Jesus Christ, who are also citizens of this land, we turn to hear what God might have to say to us on this particular milestone. Our Old Testament reading is a continuation of our look at the story of Daniel. And it tells of the moment when that exile comes to King Nebuchadnezzar and is able to name not only the distressing dream that Sovereign has been having, but its interpretation. He is clear, Daniel is, that the only way he knows both of those pieces is because God has shared it with him. And after identifying that divine source, he begins. He first tells Nebuchadnezzar the content of the dream. As he says, Lo, O king, you were looking, and there was this great statue. He speaks of how the head of that statue was gold, how the chest and the arms were silver, 
how the midsection and the thighs were bronze, how the legs were iron, and how the feet were a mix of iron and clay. He goes on to recall how in the dream this stone appears, not made with human hands, that destroys the entire statue. And soon the wind carries all the fragments away that are now merely dust. He then speaks of how there is this stone that arises and becomes this great mountain that fills the earth. And he says, this is the dream, O king. Now we will tell you its meaning. He begins by telling Nebuchadnezzar that that gold head represents him, him, that is the king, and Babylon, and all the other materials used in that statue, each of diminishing value, speak of military powers that will follow Babylon. There is a universal consensus among scholars about exactly who was being represented there, but most believe that what Daniel was speaking of was how the Babylonians would be followed by the Medes, who would be followed by the Persians, who would be followed by the Greeks. World powers that lasted for hundreds of years. He tells them then of how once that is being destroyed, that there will arise, God will bring forth this kingdom that endures forever. And then says to that king, This is the dream that the Lord has shared with you about the future and its interpretation is trustworthy. And with finally getting an answer to his question about what that had all been about, the king experiences a time of peace as the past and the present and the future meet. Our New Testament reading comes from John's Revelation. That book is a vision that John received while on the Greek island of Patmos. And many people will hear the book of Revelation as a prediction of future events. My own understanding of it is that it's a way when John using these images that range from unusual to bizarre is trying to give hope to people who are living a life under persecution. And so there's this kind of code that he uses throughout the book, including one moment when he speaks of Rome as being Babylon, a nation that had long since left the face of the earth. In our particular reading, John tells of a seventh angel that blows this trumpet And in response, how there are these heavenly voices that begin to sing, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Twenty-four elders who are around the throne in heaven bow down, and they begin to sing, saying in part, the nations raged but your wrath has come and the time for judging the dead and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then goes on to offer a glimpse of the temple in heaven where the Ark of the Covenant is there. This artifact that has been missing for centuries and still. And thus it is a glimpse too 
of where the past and the present and the future meet. Those two biblical passages have worked their way into our popular culture. For instance, Daniel's interpretation of the dream is the source for that phrase, feet of clay. When we speak of those moments when some public or figure or celebrity or both falls, when her or his flaws become clear uh, to previous admirers. Surely, the response of that heavenly host, as found in Revelation, is the source for Handel's Hallelujah Chorus when they and we sing, for he shall reign forever and ever. And yet for me, as I was reading these two passages, in particular thinking about gathering on the 4th of July, I found myself focusing on what both of those scenes have to say to us about the relationship between God and the nations. As just prior to interpreting the dream, Daniel does say to Nebuchadnezzar, in essence, you are great, you are king of kings, you are over all because God has placed you here. He goes on to describe how both Babylon and future kingdoms will fall until there is this eternal realm that God will bring into existence. Those who were singing following that trumpet in Revelation say the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ speaking words to Christians in the first century and the 21st of a moment that has not yet come. And yet in both of those passages, what we hear to our nation and the 149 under others on this earth is that all are under God's rule, that all are imperfect, and that all will rise and fall until God deems the time right to begin this eternal realm. We pray for that moment all the time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we pray, as Jesus taught on earth as it is in heaven. And in those words, what we are asking is as Christians, living in America, that we learn from the successes and failures of the past, that we take that information to shape how we live right now, and that it transform the future in a way that it might more closely match God's intention. Let me tell you of just one way we are seeking to do that as a community of faith. Early last year, our session agreed that DPC would become a Matthew 25 church. What's meant by that designation is referring to that same chapter in the first gospel when Jesus says that the way that we care for the least of these who are my brothers and sisters is the same way you care for me. 
And so our Matthew 25 task force began to explore how we might best respond to that call. And they ultimately recommended and the session approved a focus on our ongoing efforts to dismantle systemic racism, and in particular as it intersects with poverty. The latest effort of our Matthew 25 initiative is one that I've experienced twice and now is becoming available to all of you. And it's this simulation that was developed by a group called Bread for the World, a nonpartisan group that is seeking to bring about an end to hunger. And in that simulation, there's opportunities for you to hear of how some unjust policies in our nation's past started a path that continued to grow into this wide racial disparity that we know exists in our country. I, for instance, was surprised in that simulation to learn of some of the restrictions that were there when Social Security and the GI Bill began. But I want you to find your own discoveries, and I'll stop at that point, as in the coming days there will be a chance for you to participate too. What that's designed to do is to help us learn from the past, not to stop with guilt, but with action. To find ways that given this legacy that has come to us, how we might reflect upon life today and move it closer toward becoming that more perfect union. David McCullough, is a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning historian. And a book he wrote a number of years ago called The American Spirit, he offers a collection of speeches that he has given in a number of different settings, which to no surprise, the continuing theme in all of them is how as a nation, we need to recall and to hold on to our history. The opening chapter, tells of an address he made to a joint session of Congress in 1989. And as part of that message, he was telling all those representatives that there's this history of the legislative body of our country that we don't know. And so he began by recounting key representatives and senators from the past and the way over the decades of their service in Congress, the change they brought. And then he began here. Here, individuals come and go, McCullough said. Terms overlap. The stage is constantly crowded. The talk and the rumpus go on and on. And there is such a lot of humbug and so much that has been so overwhelmingly boring. But let no one misunderstand. And least of all, you who serve here, we have as much reason to take pride in Congress as in any institution in our system. As his history abundantly shows, Congress, for all its faults, has not been the unbroken parade of clowns and thieves and posturing windbags so often portrayed. 
We make sport of Congress, he said, belittle it, bewail its ineptitudes and inefficiency. We have from the beginning and probably always will. But what should be spoken of more often, he goes on, and more widely understood are the great victories that have been won here. The decisions of courage and vision achieved, the men and women of high purpose and integrity, and yes, at times, genius, who have served here. He goes on to speak of how Congress over the years had created the Homestead Act and ended slavery, built the railroad and the interstate highway system, paid for Lewis and Clark's expedition and for our journeys to the moon, the Marshall Plan and the Voting Rights Act. And after that litany of life altering legislation, he shifts his comments to speak about the importance of time. I have decided, he says, that the digital watch is the perfect symbol of an imbalance in our outlook in our days. It tells us only what time is now, at this instant, as if that were all anyone would wish or need to know. He then calls their attention to a statue and clock that is over a doorway in the statuary hall in the U.S. Capitol, and I want to place that image before you as you hear him speak of its significance. In the years when the House of Representatives met in statuary hall, he said, all deliberations were watched over by the muse of history, Cleo. She is riding the winged car of history. The idea was that those who sat below would take inspiration from her. They would be reminded that they too were part of history, that their words and actions would face the judgment of history and they could count themselves part of an honorable heritage. Cleo and the car of history are by the Italian sculptor Carlo Franzoni of Carrara. The clock in the background is by Simon Willard. It was installed about 1837. Its inner workings ticked off the minutes and hours through debate over the gag rule, the annexation of Texas, the Mexican War, tariffs, postal service, the establishment of the Naval Academy, Statehood for Arkansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, matters related to immigration, the gold rush, statehood for California, the fateful Kansas-Nebraska Act, the final hours of John Quincy Adams. It is also, he says, a clock with two hands and an old-fashioned face, the kind that shows what time is now what time it used to be, and what time it will become. In its best moments, when the past, present, and future meet, God is at work. 
And is that fact, which is revealed by the biblical narrative, by our own journeys, and by the history of this land too, which suggests to me that on this 4th of July, one of the most faithful things that we can do as Christians in this land is to pray for and commit our energies toward our land becoming ever more in keeping with its founding ideals. All in such a way that the law and life that we all experience might more perfectly become, and feel free to join me, might more perfectly become one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.